but I'm going to invite you to spend a little time in the Word with me, and I want you to find Psalm 117. It's easy to find 119. That's that big one. The longest one in all the Bible. Longest chapter. Psalm 117 is right in that vicinity. We're going to do the entire chapter tonight. All right. Psalm 117, verse 1 and 2. Praise the Lord, all nations. Laud Him, all peoples. For His loving kindness is great toward us. And the truth of the Lord is everlasting. Praise the Lord. The psalm you're seeing right now is the shortest of the psalms and the shortest chapter of the entire Bible. Two verses long. Does that mean that the sermon will be the shortest you've ever heard? Unlikely. It may be the shortest chapter of the Bible, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't carry some of the most magnificent words in all of Scripture. There's a little word that you're going to see here tonight called chesed. In Hebrew, chesed, C-H-E-S-E-D, is the way we spell that in English. It means loving kindness. Matter of fact, if you're carrying a Bible with you of a different translation than my New American Standard Version here, you might have a different word in your text. Where I said, for his loving kindness in verse 2 is great toward us, you might have had a different word there. You might have had goodness. You might have had the word favor. You might have had the word loyal love or even the word mercy. And that is just the beginning of a glimpse of how much depth this little word packs. This is why I enjoy this so much because this little word chested can cover a multitude of the Lord's attributes. It's like they're all packed inside of a tiny little word. It deals with goodness. It deals with kindness. It deals with devotion. It deals with faithfulness. It has to do with righteousness. It has to do with mercy. And it has to do with unchanging love. All of that in the same word. In a way, that little word is even too small to express all that it wants to say about the Lord and how He has worked in our lives. The invitation, as you see it, when you just look at the psalm with me, the invitation uh, at the beginning of this phrase, it it sets up for what I I like to say is uh, testimony time. Testimony time. Let other voices chime in and speak about how the Lord has worked in their lives. Remember, it's to all the nations, right? Is that what it says? It says, to all the peoples as well. Stand up and say something, is what the text is saying. It starts with the word praise. You would recognize this little Hebrew word. Hallel is the word. The same word that we use for such things as uh, hallelujah chorus, right? We, we use that expression. It, it's meant to be loud. 
Matter of fact, even the word laud that follows it in the New American Standard Version, it says, praise the Lord, all nations, laud him. And we say, well, what's that? Uh, we don't use the word laud anymore. Uh, what is that word? Well, it technically means to address in a loud voice. If we were playing with musical terms, that'd be a double forte. And you in the choir know what she means when she says, come on, double forte, right? Loud, loud, loud. It's a word that you use when you're shouting out in triumph. Like, you've seen football games before, haven't you? What they do when their team wins, the, the crowd and their emotion. Just a, a month ago, we were watching the Tennessee-Alabama game. Maybe you guys got to see that. Some of you might have caught it as well. It was a fantastic game, and uh, if you were rooting for Tennessee, you were in for a treat. Just to see them. I don't know, why do we always root for the one team that, or root against the one team that wins all the time? And so we're sitting there watching the game together, and, and you see them win, and uh, the excitement that came with them was just fun. The entire audience crowded down onto that field. I don't know if there were 60,000 or 80,000 or how many they were. They all came. They all came crowding down onto the, the field in celebration. And while they were trying to do it, uh, the interviews with folks, if you're looking at the camera view, right on the back, the goalposts start to shake. They're going like this, and they're getting bigger, and they're bigger. And as the interview is going on, you see finally those, those sway so far that they pull them out of the ground. And in this mass of people, the commentators just couldn't get their, their cameras off of it. Because you're seeing goalposts move on top of a crowd all the way across the, the stadium. It's really fun to watch. And they were having fun doing this, too. And we were sitting there thinking, how are they going to get them out of the stadium? Because you had a sense they had a plan for that. And they carried it all the way across the field up to the edge of the, where the seats start. And it stops, and I think, well, it's not going to fit through the tunnel. So they're probably just going to go up the side of there and drop it off the side. Who knows how they're going to get it out of there. But they intended to take the goalpost out of the stadium. And so as this crowd is working on that, uh, the telecast finished, and it left you wondering if they were ever going to get it out of the stadium. So I was eager to get on the news in the morning to find out what happened. And sure enough, somehow, they not only got it out of the stadium, they had marched it down the streets of Knoxville, Tennessee, and threw it in the Tennessee River. And I thought, wow, that's quite a, quite a thing. Anyway, how excited they were. They had won such a game, it took them half the night to prove that they're excited. But they did it. And that was kind of fun to watch. How does that relate to this little word, laud? The word praise and laud is like a kind of celebration, if you will. It's loud. It's fervent. It's tenacious in its expression of rejoicing. It's more than what these fans do. These fans rejoiced over a game. We have a greater reason. We have a greater reason, and we have a lasting reason. We're here to praise the Lord. 
And that's the attention of both of these words. The, the writer calls on all the nations to participate. All of them. He calls on all the peoples to lend their voices, to, to tell their stories, if you will, when they're praising the Lord. Verse 2 says, because. And that's a great place to go. You could even use this somewhat around a table. Maybe tomorrow. What a great day for that. Praise the Lord because, and fill in the blank. Why do you praise Him? Why are you so loud about it? What excites you so much about the Lord? In verse 2, we have the reason. But we also have the theme. And I want you to follow with me through verse 2, because there are two reasons given. For his loving kindness is great toward us. And the truth of the Lord is everlasting. Those two things merit his praise. If there's nothing else we can say, those two things he is worthy of praise. But when we talk about these two, loving kindness and truth, loving kindness and truth, I found out I don't have enough time tonight to cover those both adequately. For the depth I'd like to. So I'm just going to deal with the first one tonight. Maybe it's next year I'll do the second one. But here tonight, let's just talk about loving kindness. Loving kindness. Both of these topics, I could have chose any one, are just as everlasting as the Lord himself. You'd be really hard-pressed to exhaust either one of these in your study. And so I just want to give you a glimpse tonight of a simple phrase. And I'm going to employ the testimony of other people over the years to help us understand what does the psalmist mean for his loving kindness is great toward us. His loving kindness is great toward us. You know, when Bible translations come to us, to, to me it's really a, a fascinating study. I, I get real excited when I hear uh, either on the uh, Facebook page, I have all kinds of interesting people on groups I follow, uh, but one of them is, is related to Bible translators and uh, newest projects and what are they doing and such. And, and it always excites me when another one's coming out because I'm eager to know, is it worth my time or not? I like to try to read a different one every time I read through the Bible. And, and this year I've chosen a different one that I did before. And so I'm always eager when a new one comes out. Um, sometimes the translation might be the work of an individual who put it into English. And sometimes a translation took a whole committee to put it into English. Over the last 700 years or so, we have been blessed, probably, I'm, I'm going to guess, the, above any other people group on this planet. To have so many Bible translations in our language. In our language. Not to say all of them are worth our attention. But it is amazing when you think of it. So you take a word like chesed. That little word I started with our theme here tonight. It's wonderful to, to me to see how does a translating writer translate that word. When he crosses it with so many options. What, am I, what is he going to choose when he expresses it in the text? 
And I have a hunch, and, and I don't know this for sure, because I've never talked to a translator yet. But I think that sometimes in their own experience, one part of that word stands out more than another. As they're looking at a text and they're trying to understand the heart and soul of it, sometimes that personality pops out a little bit of the translator. And you say, ooh, I know why you chose that word. Let me give you the example. Let's, let's jump back in time a little bit. Because the New American Standard Version I had for you tonight is that his loving kindness is great toward us. Let's go back to about 1390. 1390. Long time ago. A man by the name of John Whitcliffe is putting the Bible down in English. For the first time, for most people, they'd never seen it, at least not in its entirety. And I am always impressed with what John Wycliffe did. He spent an awful lot of time with opposition, putting the text down into English from the uh, Latin verse. And what was interesting about that is the entire thing was handwritten. That was before there were printing presses. If you had a copy of John uh, Wycliffe's Bible, it was handwritten for you. Could you imagine that task? Most of us say, it's hard enough just to read it in a year. Try writing it. That's how they had to do that. So, when he writes this verse, this is how he says it. For his mercy is confirmed on us. And I thought, confirmed? Ooh, that's interesting. What, what do you mean? Mercy Loving kindness confirmed. They're all suitable translations for that little word. The word great, gabar, is the Hebrew word. And it means to be strong, means mighty, to be magnified, to prevail, to strengthen, to surpass, and to make firm. Make firm. That's the one he chose. It's confirmed. His mercy is confirmed on us. And I said, okay, why would you pick that? Well, John Wycliffe lived in what we have labeled historically as the Dark Ages. For over a thousand years, the truth of God's Word had been hidden from the people. They were not able to read it. They did not own it. They did not understand it. Could you imagine living back then? That would have been a tough time to live. The church itself was supposed to teach the people God's word. Instead, they abused the church. History shows us that they buried the truth behind a bunch of gibberish and ritual. The countless folks that were born and lived and died without ever Hearing God's word is alarming to me. That's a long time to go without it being available. If God had given up on this world, it might have been during those days. If God had tossed the whole world aside, it could have been in days like that. If he had forever turned his back on the people he could have then, he would have been justified. I think he'd still be justified today if he did it to it us. But Wycliffe lived in the midst of those people. The Lord worked in his own heart and gave him a desire to put the Word of God into the hands of the common people. 
And so he set about to translate the scriptures for the first time into English. And how refreshing it must have been when he got to Psalm 117 and got to verse number 2. And he says, His mercy is confirmed on us. He rejoiced over those words. I don't doubt that. God's mercy didn't vanish. All those dark years, it didn't go away. Better still, it was confirmed to us, he says. His mercy is confirmed. It's still intact. It's still there. It's still available. How exciting that would have been for him to have seen such a beautiful phrase. They had wandered so far from the truth of God's yet word, and yet he confirms that it's still available yet. You can have it. His mercy is there. How wonderful that God's mercy doesn't have an expiration date. It's John Whitcliffe's testimony. Take another 200 years later. Another translator worked on the very same verse. His name was Miles Coverdale. Miles Coverdale. He was working on Tyndale's great translation of the New Testament. Um, that we believed right around 1530. It was at the heart of the Reformation era in those years. Tyndale's there. He is producing a Greek, a translation from the Greek New Testament into English. And this time he has the advantage of a printing press. And Tyndale's at work, but before he ever got a chance to complete the Old Testament, they burned him at the stake. He was breaking the law, according to them, because he was translating Scripture into the tongue of the common people. Coverdale picked up that project. Coverdale approached Psalm 117 at a later date and added to what was already written. And he says, in this is his words, For his merciful kindness is ever more and more toward us. Ever more and more toward us. See, while Whitcliffe saw the beauty of God's confirmed mercy, Coverdale was focusing on an enduring quality of it. Ever more and more toward us. It's like a spring of water that never quits. How often we get tired. And I don't doubt that some of the reformers had to feel that too under the stress of persecution as they were, some of them became martyrs. Most of them, if they weren't martyrs, at least were hunted most of their life by the organized church. To translate into English was to break the law. Many of these translators had to leave their homes and their countries and their congregations in order to translate in a secret location. They smuggled English Bibles into England. That's amazing when you think it through. They knew full well that if those copies were found, they were to be destroyed by fire. And it happened over and over again. And the persecution just kept coming over and over and over. Isn't it nice then to read His merciful kindness is ever more and more toward us? A reformer would feel that. They say, oh yes, 
It doesn't stop. You know, we as translators and, and reformers were, were persecuted. And we're mortal. Their lives are limited. But God's mercy goes beyond the writers here. It goes on to the generations. It goes on to the nations. It goes on and on and on to the peoples. Nearly a hundred years later, the team that produced the King James Version used Tyndale and Coverdale's copies. And yet highlighted another word that has potency. And I love the fact that this worked this way too. Because in the 1600s, the King James Version, some of you carry that, says, For his merciful kindness is great toward us. Great is the word that they chose to emphasize. It's got the idea of something that goes over and above. I always have a picture in my mind when I use those words. It's found in Psalm 23. You want a wild guess what I'm thinking? A cup. A cup that's filled. As a matter of fact, it's more than filled, isn't it? It goes over the brim. God's merciful kindness is not merely enough to get you through a day. Did you hear that? God's merciful kindness is not merely enough to get you through a day. It is excessive. That's the way His mercy always, always works. If you were uh, greeted by a person in the Jewish society back in the Old Testament days, perhaps, the host brought you in, invited you to a meal, the time came to fill your cup there at the table, they took exceedingly careful measures to make sure that your cup overflowed. They did that on purpose. They wanted it to spill down onto the tablecloth. They wanted it to be messy where you sat. It was a sign that you were welcome. Matter of fact, you were welcome so much that they said, oh, we don't mind spilling this. We have lots more. Boy, that comes. And that's the whole picture that the writers in the King James Version saw. They said, what a bountiful supply of the storehouses of God's merciful kindness toward us. It's great. It goes on and on and on and overflowing. It's more than just satisfying. It's sensational. It's like taking your canteen out to fill it with water from the ocean. That's the endless supply. It's great. And I love the fact that they chose that word when they put it in their translation. You know, over the last 30 years or so, uh, many have been working, really, with the New King James text, or the King James text. We've had New King James out there, but maybe you're not familiar with another one that came out in the last 30 years or so by a man by the name of Jay Green. He has produced what is now called the KJ3. Right? And what's interesting about the KJ3, the King James 3 translation, is that he tries to, like they all, many of them do, try to be as literal, as accurate, and up-to-date as he possibly could, still use the King James text and all that. And so when he gets to this psalm, and he starts to, to write about Psalm 117, verse 2, he adds another of the concepts 
about God's mercy that's just as true and just as powerful as the other ones chosen already. He says, for his mercy is mighty over us. Think of those words for a second. His mercy is mighty over us. Again, accurate use of the words. But I like this expression. Because it highlights something the Lord does for us that is so very necessary. While His mercy is confirmed, it's still in existence. And it does not end. And it overflows to us. The fact that it is mighty over us as well is a relief. Let me give you some words here if I could ever turn my page. They're stuck together. There it is. When Paul wrote the words of Ephesians chapter 2, maybe you're familiar with that passage, um, speaks of the grace of God. You know one of the verses anyway that speaks of the fact that you're not saved. Uh, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That chapter has always been so touching to me. Because it not only talked about faith and grace and salvation, love, but it talks about mercy. Verse 4 stands out right in the midst of all those words and it says, But God, who is rich in mercy, and I always stop when I read that phrase and I just look at that again. Rich in mercy. That is a mighty mercy. Let me explain it for you. Uh, explain it to you just for a minute. In the context of Ephesians 2, the very first phrase in that verse shows you how hopeless it looked. It says in verse number 1, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And you say, oh, that's terrible. Well, it gets worse. Because he says, And you walked around according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that's now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. That picture just paints it as simply as this. There is nothing we could do. Nothing we could do. Nothing that would free us from that place. We were unable to break the bonds. We were forever trapped to be left to our own efforts. Matter of fact, even in the word itself, trespass, it's such a... I'm trying to think of the right word here. It's such a word that could defeat you if you thought it through. Trespass. It's made up of two Greek words, which means to uh, take a bad step. Take a bad step. You know, we're walking along, and some of us are at the age now when you don't want to take a bad step. That could mean about three or four weeks of pretty bad injury. Uh, It could be even worse than that. Bad steps are not a good idea, are they? But the picture of this is, in the Greek word, is it's kind of got two thoughts to it. There's a bad step involved, 
But the actual word for for trespass is two words put together, and one is beside, and the other word is dead bodies. You say, ooh. Well, the picture is this, that you're walking along along the edge of a cliff, and you take a bad step, and you fall off the cliff, and you lay down there among the rest of the corpses laying down at the bottom of the hill. Sound pretty hopeless, doesn't it? That's the word he uses. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. What could you do about it? Nothing. That's as hopeless as you can paint a picture. That's where he starts this, this Ephesians 2. You were like that. But verse 4 says, But God's mercy is mighty. It is rich, it says, in mercy. He is. Because of His great love in which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. I love that. For by grace you have been saved. He raised us up. He seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. If that doesn't get you to rejoice, I don't know what, what would. That fantastic words. The, the Lexham, a newer translation too, the Lexham translation adds this, for his loyal love is mighty on our behalf. The Legacy translation, this one's still, I mean the ink is still wet on this one. It's just come off the press just in the last year or so. The Legacy translation says, for his loving kindness prevails over us. Isn't that a richness of words? It prevails over us. Aren't you glad that His mercy is greater than your sin? Isn't that amazing? When we're reading these texts, these are the testimonies of those who have faith in Him. As they write these words, they, it's clear. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glory. But it's just as clear from the text, His mercy prevails over us. His love for us, even while we were yet sinners, is vividly demonstrated on a cross, and we know that. The ESV, the English Standard Version, says, great is His steadfast love toward us. I just wanted to do a word study, and I got into these translations, and I just couldn't stop. They were so excited to see how the different guys brought it to the table and said, look at it this way. Look at it this way. Look at it this way. How many different ways can you turn mercy around and still be in awe of that little word? And that's what they've done for us. They've all brought their own little recipe, so to speak. But each, each word is a banquet by itself. It's a rich, rich, rich little song. Like I said, shortest one in the Bible. But it is potent with thought. It is wonderful to read. For His loving kindness is great toward us. That's a psalm for Thanksgiving, isn't it? That one is worth our time. It might be short, but it contains some of the most powerful expressions of God's action toward us. I just enjoyed so much digging into this. All peoples without distinction, he says. 
All nations without exceptions are called to confirm the might of the mercy of the Lord. You're in that group. You're called on too. You have a because to fill out. We can speak of a mercy that proved itself mighty by its intensity, by its fullness, by its super abundantly covering our sins, and verifying again His promise that we will never be without and never short on His loving kindness supply. Never will it run out. Isn't that worth praising Him for? What a phrase this is. I, I wonder if even eternity is going to be long enough to be able to stand there and praise Him according to just the things He's done for us. The things He's done for us. On, on Thanksgiving Day, I, I like to take the opportunity to cut the turkey when it comes out of the oven. I, I enjoy that part because uh, you have to sample it first. Make sure it's okay for everyone else to enjoy it too. But you know what's so hard about that little sample thing? You can't stop. You who've done it before, you know what I mean. You pick your first piece off, you cut some. You pick another piece off, you cut some. By the time you got it all cut up, you've had your meal. Because you can't help it. It's just those kind of things. That increases my desire. Every time I take one bite, I want to have another. I want to have another. This is a sample I gave you tonight. Just a little bite. Just a little bite of testimonies from different translations about how God's great mercy looked. I hope it piqued your desire to know more. That you might say, I want to study that out too. I want to look at His mercy. I want to feast on it. I want more. And guess what? You will never run out when you study this topic. You never will. Praise the Lord, all nations. Laud Him, all peoples. For His loving kindness is great toward us. And the truth of the Lord is everlasting. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let that be your psalm for this year. Heavenly Father, Thank you just doesn't seem to be enough. But we do want to say that from our hearts. We rejoice in what we have seen and heard. What you not only have done in the lives of these that testify to us, but what you've done in our lives. How we can account for this each and every day. Literally, we can stop and see. You are merciful toward us over and over and over and over again. You prevail over us. You're stronger than us. You're mighty toward us. You confirm it to us. It just goes ever on and on and on. And it overflows. Lord, how wonderful it is to be the recipient of your mercy. Thank you for giving that. Thank you for giving that to us. As we go into a season of thanksgiving, may our hearts be triggered by these words. They're so simple. We could memorize the whole psalm in just a few moments. But I pray that it's more than just something that comes from our head. May it come from our heart. 
May we get to those last three words and say it as loud as we can. Praise the Lord. You have done these things for us, Lord. We thank you. We thank you so much. We give you the praise for that. We pray that you'll bless our congregation as our folks are meeting with their families and friends in different places, some in in the the area and some are away at uh, others' homes. Bless our congregation, Lord. Keep us ever close to you. Use us, Lord, even with the simplest words, the expressions of our praise. Maybe that might be something another person at the table needs to hear, needs to see. Lord, use us as you see fit. But in all, bring glory to yourself, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.